0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: Hi, I'm Steve Shireta, Senior Managing Editor at Knowledge at Wharton, and I'd like to welcome Wharton Finance Professor Itai Goldstein to this podcast. He has a new study. Actually, it's a, a work in progress, ready to be published shortly, that looks at identifying market signals that could predict the future of the business cycle, including when an economic downturn is coming, GDP growth, and unemployment earlier than other leading indicators. So this is a, this is a, a pretty big thing. Uh, so there's a lot of studies out there, uh, as you note in your study, linking the business cycle to credit markets. Uh, one broad conclusion is that Uh, and you note this in your paper from another paper, that growth in leverage in the financial sector combined with negative shocks causes financial crises. So that's an interesting sort of top-level observation. But the upshot seems to be uh, in your paper that the overheating of credit markets typically precedes an economic downturn, but the big question remains, is there a way to know when overheated credit conditions are likely to develop before they actually develop. And if so, then the government might be able to take some action to head off or at least blunt or lessen the possibility of a downturn. So the paper is called Mutual Fund Flows and Fluctuations in Credit and Business Cycles. And... uh, your paper notes that the search is on for early warnings about this all-important overheating of credit markets. So if you can get an early warning of when they're going to overheat, that's equivalent to an early warning of of a downturn in the economy. And you believe you have identified some warning signals based on investor choices regarding or connected to high-yield corporate bonds, also known as junk bonds. That is, high-yield corporate bond mutual funds not just the bonds themselves. So um, would you give us a short overview of what you and your co-authors have identified in the paper, including, I guess, a brief description of what an overheated credit market looks like since so much rests on that concept.
0: Yeah. Uh, So uh, thank you. Um, So as you note, uh, the credit market is uh, cyclical and it tends to be correlated with the economy as a whole. Uh, we tend to see that uh, credit market is uh, overheating before a downturn in, in the economy. And many scholars in finance and, and macroeconomics are, are trying uh, constantly to find why is this the case and also to find leading indicators uh, to tell us when it's coming. Um, and, you know, people have looked at uh, mutual funds uh, over the years um, but did not find quite the right signal coming out of mutual funds that will tell us uh, sort of a leading indicator for the credit cycle. Do you mean equity mutual funds when you say that? Right. In this case, okay. Yes, right. uh, mostly equity mm-hmm. uh, mutual funds. And we identified what we think is, is a good leading indicator, and and this is flows into high-yield corporate bond funds, but not just flows. Uh, what we have is a particular component of flows, which is the intrafamily family flows into high yield uh, corporate bond uh, mutual funds um, and I'm happy to talk more about exactly what what this is
1: okay thank you since that's the that's the, the I guess the key distinction about the uh, the specific thing you're looking at uh, maybe we should describe this as you do in your paper the difference between interfamily flows and I guess what would uh uh, which would be I guess what a reallocation within a family right. of investments versus total flows into say a bond mutual fund or high yield bond mutual fund, which means funds could be coming from outside of that family and and you 're finding that that first one, the in family one, which please describe is is the one that to focus on
0: yes right. Yeah. So so our leading indicator has really two components. Uh, first, it looks at intrafamily uh, flows, and then it looks at flows into high yield uh, funds. So let me first talk about uh, the intrafamily uh, aspect of it. Um, so the ICI, the Investment Company Institute, uh, publishes data on flows in general across different funds, different types of funds, and also gives us information as to what flows are within the family and what flows are Outside uh, the family. When I say outside the family, it means money flowing into the fund family and out of the fund family. And what would um, be a
1: fund family? Just to be clear,
0: so a fund family is something like Vanguard, for example. Okay, uh, so, so va- they're a high yield bond fund. So so yeah. Vanguard is a fund family because they have many funds uh, and they are all under the big umbrella of Vanguard. And okay. Vanguard would have uh, corporate bonds, government bonds, equity. Uh, high yield bonds investment grade bonds and 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 so on mm-hmm. uh so w- when I say a fund family, I mean something like Vanguard, and what we look at is flows within Vanguard into the high yield mm-hmm. uh, funds um and 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 basically, what we find is that when you look overall across families, the intra family the within family flows into high yield uh, bonds are highly predictive. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, why is that the case? So why uh, should we care about the, the intra-family uh, uh, component? Because we think that this is the first component to move, to to show signs of changes in demand for risk, uh, for changes in taste uh, for, for investment. Think about it. When investors have money uh, in, in Vanguard or other uh, fund families, and all of a sudden uh, they have, say, greater appetite for risk, they want to invest in high-yield bonds, the first thing they will do is take money they already have invested in other funds of this family and move it towards the type of fund that they're interested in. Uh, And we think that this is why the intra-family flows into high-yield funds is the thing that is the most effective uh, leading indicator, because when something changes in underlying tastes, in... Uh, capacity for risk and appetite for risk. The first thing that will move, that will show signs of of changes, will be the flows within the family towards that type of investment.
1: So when you talk about those interfamily flows, you you refer to them as the smart money, or maybe I would call it like the hot money because it's it's mm-hmm. it's moving fast. And I guess in this case, smart doesn't necessarily mean they're correct. It means that they're spending a lot of time looking at this, and therefore. Because they do, they tend to move faster than other investors. Is that right?
0: Yes, yes, uh, yes, that that is true. Okay, so um, how does focusing on that
1: then get you to predict these other macroeconomic things? Because here we are at this very micro level within (laughs) a specific bond mutual fund, right? And now we're extrapolating that out to predict what's going to move you know the world of of the world economy in effect so right. tell us tell us how that connection happens that jump happens right
0: yes so it has been noted before that uh the credit market is correlated with the economy uh when there are signs of overheating in the credit market uh, generally, it is correlated with contemporaneous uh, good economic conditions, uh, high GDP, uh, low unemployment. But then it leads later on to worse economic conditions.
1: Could you just um, define for us the general idea of what over, a ho- an overheated credit market is? What
0: does it look like? So an overheated uh, credit market would be one where uh, credit spreads tend to be low. Uh, there are... Uh, there is high volume of issuance of of bonds. Uh, the share of high yield bonds out of overall uh, bonds is generally high. Um, financial intermediaries are going to expand their balance sheets. Uh, so all these indicators generally point to potentially overheated credit markets. and as as I mentioned, this is something that is correlated with generally good economic conditions at present, which means high. Uh, GDP, low unemployment, but then it also predicts a a downturn uh, that that is coming. Um, And uh, going back to your original question, how is all this related to mutual fund uh, flows? Uh, So basically what many researchers are trying to find out is what are the origins of these uh, credit market uh, conditions or credit market overheating. Um, we think that it originates from some change in demand by investors. Investors all of a sudden have um, maybe a more positive outlook for the economy. They have greater appetite for risk. And as a result, they shift their investments towards the high-yield uh, funds, the high-yield uh, bonds. Uh, but the challenge is really to identify this signal coming out of market data. And what what we found is that uh, looking at this component of intra-family flows into high-yield funds is, is really an indication of this buildup of demand and uh, greater appetite for risk. Uh, this predicts the uh, improving conditions in the credit markets, potentially overheating, and then leading to the downturn in, in the economy. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that these flows within the family of mutual funds into high-yield uh, uh, bonds that they are causing the whole thing. But they are just an indicator that, you know, within the economy, people start building this appetite for risk and want to invest in these high-yield bonds. Uh, This is an indicator, a clean indicator that this is happening. And then uh, for us, researchers looking at that, it helps us predict uh, the things that are about to come. So just in general,
1: there's... uh uh, a lot of agreement in the literature, as you note in your paper, I guess that credit markets when they start to heat up, that's a a, a leading indicator that you know, eventually that process will play out in, into a slowdown at some point down the road. I don't know how predictable that is. Is it nine months? Is, is it a year? Is it predictable at all? Is there a range that that people give? Um, and then what you're saying is so if if that's the, since that's the case. the the best thing that we could find would be the earliest indicator that that credit cycle is is heating up and that Mm -hmm. what you have found seems to be an earlier indicator than anything else that's out there right now.
0: Right. Is that that right? That that is true, yes. So other indicators that have been offered before, for example, are the high-yield share, which is the share out of total bond issuance that is coming out of high-yield our indicator leads that by a few uh, b- by a year or or even more mm-hmm. um, another indicator that has been proposed is the excess bond premium basically the the premium on on bonds that is not coming from um credit risk mm-hmm. um and again ours uh leads that by a few quarters uh so ba- so basically it is a leading indicator that seems to predict all the other leading mm-hmm. indicators that have been offered in the literature mm-hmm. And another thing that uh, I think is is interesting about it is that it also helps us maybe interpret better what are the um, uh, foundations uh, for these uh, credit market overheating because it is a clear indication of increase in demand from the side of investors to taking on more risk and investing in high-yield bonds. So it's going to help you to predict, as we
1: said, I mean, Monetary policy right right what, how is the Fed going to react to this does it work in reverse so if if um if that group of investors that you're talking about the in family folks if if they start to withdraw from these high yield bond funds is that a sign that they think the uh the problem is
0: much closer yes yes uh, that, that that's a that's a good question so uh, it works in both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, it is you – know, we, we sort of looked at symmetry. It's not completely symmetric, mm-hmm. uh, but it does seem to work on both ends. So on a
1: crude level, if I was an investor and I was looking at this, I would say, oh, look, this group of people is jumping into these you know, high-yield bond mutual funds. That's a sign that at some point down the road, maybe pretty far down the road – we're going to have a problem, but then I have to keep watching it to say, "Oh, look! Now they're leaving. Right. That means it's getting closer yes. by, by some amount of time." Would that be the right way to? Look right. At yes. This?
0: That, that's okay. that's a good way to to think about it. Is there some yes. way to
1: say, "Okay, now they're leaving," that means we're going to have a problem within six to eight months or two to three months? Can is that is what What's the correlation there historically?
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so generally the the timing of it would be that uh when the flows into high yield funds within the family start building up it basically means that the other indicators of credit market overheating are going to show signs of of going up within a year mm-hmm. um uh, which means that uh you know gdp will go up within a year and unemployment will go down wi- within a year and and then the, the reversal happens about a year and a half to two years uh, later. So, so generally, mm-hmm. if, if you want to think about sort of flows into high yield funds within the family today, mm-hmm. when will GDP start mm-hmm. showing signs of weakness mm-hmm. or reversal? We are talking about about three years uh, later. Now, now, clearly, you know, we are talking about statistical uh, relations. So right. it's not like. Every time uh, you have flows into high-yield funds within the family, it means that GDP will go down three years down the road. Um, We're talking about correlations over Mm -hmm. 25 Mm -hmm. years or so. And then, of course, um, if there's some
1: external shock, then that process could speed up one way or the other. Right. Right. I mean, it it could suddenly, what you'd expect to take, nine months or a year could suddenly take two weeks right i mean right. so those are the i guess the black swans that uh, no one has figured out how how to predict yes. but right. yes. but just to get it like a baseline what you're talking about this is uh, you know this is now new information that um sets the radar signal further into the future so that it, when it when it pings back you 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 have more of an early warning right about yes. About what could be bad news ahead.
0: Yes, exactly. Or good news ahead. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. So, so you you know, I mean, so it's all statistical relationships and it's all trying to control for other things that Mm -hmm. are changing around the same time. So, in general, the nature of the exercise is that you run these regressions, Mm -hmm. but then you're trying to control for other things, right? So, if if you want to. If, you, if you're if you an investor and you're trying to predict something, you would like to take into account other things, mm-hmm. not just this particular factor.
1: So we talked about this a little bit before we got started, but this the idea of like, what what would it be telling you right now? And you're saying you haven't run the
0: contemporary numbers right. just yet. Are you planning to yes. do that soon? Um, you know, now you got me curious. Maybe <laughs> we should <laughs> uh, do that. I mean, huh. g- generally, generally, as you know, the, the primary goal of it is a trying to understand uh, relationships between variables over time. So uh, the way that we are looking at it is running these regressions over time for 25, 30 years or or so. Um, But uh, certainly if you're trying to predict the future, then yes, you would like to sort of take a look at what these variables are today and what they tell you for the future. We have looked at... Uh, you know, we have this thing in 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 the in the field where we say, okay, so it predicts everything within sample. Does it do a good job also predicting things out of sample? And generally, it does it does work. But we haven't looked at this particular point. Okay, because
1: in, in a way, it seems like a mini. It's like a mini, econometric model, right? Where an econometric model might you know take in thousands of variables and try to crunch all that together. Right. But you're looking at. Uh, uh, you know, one or two specific numbers, but they happen to correlate really well mm-hmm. historically. Right. So it would be uh, it, it would be interesting to see. Yes. So okay, right. you have to come back and tell us about that. <laughs> uh, so so tell us how your study does differ from others that look at you know the relationship between heating up credit markets and and uh, the uh, possibility of a downturn in the future and that sort of thing.
0: Right. Yes. Um so so I would say first of all it's the first uh, study that um links the credit markets uh, to flows in mutual funds. Um and the reason that flows in mutual funds are interesting is that they give you clear indication as to where investors are moving their money. So people were trying to sort of link uh, those credit markets overheatings into flows of money by investors and I think we will we are the first ones that are able to to do that. I would say that one clear advantage of what we do is the fact that it is a leading indicator that leads all the other leading indicators by about a year Mm -hmm. or or even more. So that's one uh, clear advantage. Mm -hmm. Another clear advantage, I think, is that uh, it lends itself to a very interesting interpretation by which we see a group of investors. um, We can't quite put a name on them, but we sort of... Know their characteristics, um, you know generally uh, what they what they look like uh, how they they behave. and we can say you know when these investors have more appetite for risk, um, those are the the indicators that the whole credit market is going to start uh, going towards the overheating.
1: When you see this money within the family flowing into the, the, the high-yield bond mutual funds that you're talking about, do you also look at where it came from to say, oh, see, they're moving out of this into this? That's a clear indication versus if they were just moving into that, you right. might not know as much yes. if you didn't know where it was coming from.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That that That's a good question. Uh, so we, we, we did look at this, like um, these inflows into high-yield funds, are they correlated with outflows out of investment grade bonds or government bonds mm-hmm. or equity uh, funds, there isn't such a strong correlation there mm-hmm. in that it is sort of hard to predict um, the inflows into high-yield mm-hmm. funds and where they are coming from. Um, I think p- part of the the story is, uh, and, and maybe this is also related to why the high-yield funds are working so well, it is a, a very a uh, particular clientele of of investors um you know when you think about high yield funds those are typically savvier investors more sophisticated investors uh wealthier investors whereas if you think about say equity funds you know everyone invests in equity funds mm-hmm. you have some sophisticated investors there you you also have some very non-sophisticated investors there. And this is why it's sort of more difficult to Mm -hmm. to get a clear indication coming out of Mm -hmm. flows uh, into and out of equity funds. What haven't I asked you about this
1: that would be interesting for our readers and listeners to know? Um,
0: You know, I I think one one thing that um, we were thinking about is, is it really just a change in taste, uh, demand, appetite for risk, or maybe these investors are just super smart, and they predict Mm -hmm. everything going forward. And and you can see that those things are slightly different, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the first story is, uh, you know, they're not necessarily smart, uh, but they just give us indication that there is appetite for risk Mm -hmm. out there. Uh, Whereas the second story would say, you know, these are just incredibly smart people who are able to uh, forecast the whole cycle and make money out of it, and no one else sort of knows how how to do it. And, you know, to some extent, I would say that our evidence is consistent with both uh, interpretations. But as we think about it and reflect uh, on it, we think it's a little difficult to believe the second one. So this is why we are leaning more towards the first one. Mm. That is, it seems more... Uh, reasonable to say that they just provide indication to the overall appetite for risk in the economy, in the market, rather than to say that these are incredibly smart individuals who can do something that no one else can do. So that, that's, I would say, one more dimension in the paper okay. that maybe didn't come up as much.
1: One, one thing, I, I did have another question, actually, and that is that uh, to the extent that this proves accurate, it can be used perhaps by policymakers. Right. And to provide some some kind of you know policy change that could could blunt or maybe even prevent say a downturn in the future is, could you talk about that yes
0: no I th- I think that's that's absolutely true so so you know I mean certainly one of the primary uh, reasons that this is so interesting is that policymakers in particular central banks who are setting monetary policy. Uh, they continuously looking for signs of overheating in the credit market mm-hmm. be, and, and and sort of upcoming downturns in the economy, because they want to adjust policy uh, accordingly. Uh, so to the extent that this measure is uh, something that they would use or uh, you know accept going forward, uh, certainly it can help guide their their mm-hmm. policy. So one, as you mentioned before, one thing that we did was to use. Uh, these flows within the family into high yield funds to predict future tightening in monetary policy, right? So it basically says when investors put their money more and more into high yield funds, uh, then in the future policymakers will start tightening uh, the the monetary policy. But if they look at the, if they accept our results and look at this measure in advance. Uh, then they could take those uh, steps in advance mm-hmm. and in some sense they could do better. Mm-hmm. Or at least it would be so, one more piece of evidence for them. Right. So the fact that we can predict their yeah. policy suggests that this is useful information for them. If they have this information and use it in the future, they could start adjusting the policy earlier. So, so the, I think that that is potentially one of the, the more exciting mm-hmm. ways that people can use this research. So people who can uh, work the
1: math and all that sort of thing Read your paper. Can they can they reproduce it? In other words, could they run the numbers based on what's happening today and see and see what the result would be?
0: Uh, yes, I, yes. I, I think it's fairly transparent. Okay, as, as I mentioned, a lot of it is based on the data of the Investment Company Institute uh, because they are the ones who publish the data on interfund sure. uh, uh, flows. Now, now this data comes out a little bit with a lag, so, mm-hmm. so it's it's not like you can do it on a daily basis mm-hmm. uh, every, every time, but but. With that caveat in mind, yes, this is something that, that you can certainly uh, use. Okay. And what will you look at next? Um, so, you know, I mean, w- one thing that I think would be very interesting, the data right now uh, is not available, uh, but, uh, you know, m- maybe this will give people appetite to Go look for it. Is uh, look at this across different countries, right? Mm-hmm. Because o- overall, the robust relation between the credit market and the economy uh, has been examined and tested across different countries. Uh, What we do here is only for the United States because this data is only available in in the U.S. Uh, So clearly taking it a step further, one would like to see that this is not just a U.S. specific uh, relationship, but rather something that you can extrapolate and and sort of use across different countries. So I would say this would be something that is very interesting. Mm -hmm. But this is a very long-term project. Of course. Okay.
1: (laughs) Thanks for coming in and and explaining this really interesting uh, study to us. Sure. Thank you very much. If you like what you hear and would like more knowledge, please join us at our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.